Hi, flamethrowers. Lindsay Gibbs here. Welcome back to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. This is the last week where we are just hosting an interview episode. We will be back from our summer vacation uh, next week. And I don't know, I'm kind of cheating this week because this week for my interview, I brought on my co-host, Brenda Elsie. Hi, Bren. Hi. So first of all, before we get going, I just want to remind everyone to support us on Patreon for less than a cup of coffee. Uh, That keeps us going and keeps things possible. And we've got some really exciting things coming to you for all for the rest of the year. So, you know, all all of your help is really amazing. But today, the reason I want to talk to Bren is because, uh, as many of you know, we had a lot of soccer tournaments this summer um, for all the federations having their World Cup qualifying tournaments. And I've heard a lot of talk about CONCACAF, which the U.S. won over Canada, just reminding that in case Shireen's listening. And then, um, of course, there was big in the Euros um, with England winning and, I guess, bringing it home. Is that what we're saying? (laughs) I wish everyone could see Brenda's face. It looks exactly like you think it would look right now. But uh, anyways... I heard less chatter in English media, which as someone who unfortunately only speaks English, that is what I listened to, about what was happening at the Copa America, where Brazil beat Colombia in Colombia. And so Bren is the expert. If you have not read her book, Football Era, go get it right now. I reference it at least every other month, and I don't reference books, so... (laughs) Because I don't read much. That's so sweet. <laughs> so it's a must read. Um, so, Brent, thanks so much for for using some of your summer vacation to talk to me. Thanks for having me on this incredible show. This is my favorite <laughs> podcast. And they have the best listeners in the world. So You know, probably the first time you've been just a guest. But look, we got so much expertise in our crew. And the thing is, when we miss doing our weekly shows, we miss a lot. And I knew when we came back, we're probably not going to have a good 20 to 30 minutes just to talk about Copa America. So <laughs> No, I appreciate it because definitely you could, I mean, we could start with the fact that there was very little uh, in terms of people's excitement around this tournament, and it took place exactly at the same time as the Women's Euros. Let's start there. Let's start with scheduling, and there's a couple of scheduling things to talk about. Number one, it was, so Colombia was the host of this tournament. So how did that come about? Because Colombia is not, as we will get into in this podcast, not necessarily world famous for their support of women's football. So the women themselves in Colombia's professional league. This was called the Di Mayor Professional League, which started in 2017 and unfortunately has been decimated over the past couple of years since COVID um, by the men who run Colombian football. The women that were taking part several years ago made a bid for the 2023 World Cup and for hosting Copa America. As you know, Australia and New Zealand won the 2023 World Cup. Um, but, uh, the women were really integral and thinking that, that hosting these tournaments would be a spark to help both the professional league and to, you know, get some more support for the national team. So they did win this bid and that's of course, when the selection for kind of the host cities and the stadiums came about. And I know that 
Uh, there was some controversy here. And once again, I know we're kind of going back in time, but I had missed all of this. So which cities did they decide to host these games in and this tournament in? And why was that a little bit controversial? Okay, so I have no idea, literally, why they picked these cities. And there's no disrespect to these cities, but not only are they not sort of cradles of football, they're just not that large. (laughs) So my guess is it's because men's professional football has started, and they took the Bogota and the Medellin um, stadiums. That would be my guess. Uh, Usually men's football does not take place during the Copa America, but because Normally, they'd be at the World Cup. Right. And I'd be complaining that the World Cup is at the same time as the Copa America. That's usually what I do. (laughs) And so now I have a new complaint, which is that it's just the professional team that was taking place. And so it was held in Armenia, Bucaramanga, and Cali. I mean, Bucaramanga is, I think, the sixth largest market. Armenia, I couldn't even find a statistic on. And Cali is also a smaller city. So... It, it felt um, frustrating, you know, very frustrating to me that the capacity were 20,000, 28,000 um, seaters versus the larger stadiums in Bogota and just a larger audience, you know, period. Absolutely. It's once again, we talk all the time, right? People put these artificial caps on what women's sports can be. Um, so one, I think, you know, Brazil is probably the team we talk about the most on the podcast mm-hmm. and it is, is the most in the women's football conversation. They won it all. But I do. So we're going to I want to talk about the other teams more. But let's what do you think this win meant for Brazil and kind of what was your takeaway from where the Brazilian team stands right now? I think everyone was nervous um, about it being a referendum on Pia Sundag, right? The Swedish national coach. She coached the U.S. team and now she's coaching Brazil. This is the first like real stint of a real coach that the Brazilian women have ever had. What do you mean by that? That the only other time there was a coach who was a winning coach who had ever coached women was Emily Lima, and she was fired um, not even after a year into her start. Oh, you mean a coach, so someone who has experience in the women's game specifically. Or even was successful in the men's game. Okay, gotcha. I think either one of those would have felt good. Even youth, even successful in the youth game. I think... um, yeah, period. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, they they had Vidal, who was a failing coach in the men's game in, in the lower levels. And despite players retiring early, you know, over the toxic culture that was there, he just kept getting reappointed. And um, after seeing the Brazilian women's team really decline in terms of its success as the rest of the women's team seemed to gain steam, right? It seemed like... You know, um, early 2000s, Brazil was really going to um, continue to ascend, and they did not. They really petered out um, in 2015 World Cup. And, you know, you you have the best player in the world, the best player of all time. It's a big game. There's a lot of players. So you can't really say just because you have one, right? I mean, Portugal's not going to win the World Cup, even if Ronaldo was the best player, which he's not, but if he was – um and so you know what I mean like I love that we had to get into Ronaldo dish we had to we had I you know but you have to qualify that a little bit because I do hear a lot in like NBA talk about how one player you know you need a certain kind of players win but still right 
you had so many great players. And um, so the fact that Brazil won, I feel like felt like a relief for people who really wanted to see the decision of the CBFA to appoint Pia as a good one. I think that was really a relief. They totally dominated the tournament. They did not give up a goal um, in the entire tournament. Not one. Wow. Not one. But the last game was a classic Swedish Pia tactical game. It was not the Brazil that some people might expect um, in terms of offensive uh, intensity, though eventually they created more chances. They are not as physical of a team as Colombia. Uh, they won 1-0. It was a penalty that was buried by Dabinha, which a lot of you probably know from the NWSL, and uh, it was a great penalty kick. But it was surprising how they had just sort of stormed through the tournament, and then it it felt as though this game, Pia was just like, this is back to my chess, you know? <laughs> and so they won. Um, not in the most exciting fashion, but it was good. And, of course, we – the just a reminder that Marta is injured and so of course wasn't on uh this team. So of course winning without her is is that notable? I mean, it is. I don't foresee her having the same central role um right. in this World Cup. Uh then again, she is like the most competitive person I've ever seen and so who knows. <laughs> She's right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um but no, I think it felt good. I think it's good for morale. I think in some ways the question is you know, have they relied on Marta too much? And if you listen to, like, Ali Wagner call some of the Brazil games, and she's very good um, at doing Copa America and South American team. She's been doing it now for several years, and um, actually more than that, like, since the last World Cup, um, she was saying the same thing. You know, it feels like they just have to, like, use more of the set pieces. They have to, like, be a little bit more tactical, and that might just be good for them overall, to not rely on, like, one, on Marta to, like, make every play. Totally. I mean, we've seen that. That's a common thing in sports, right? Like, I think no matter what sport you like, yeah. you've seen, True. you know, people rely too heavily on one piece and, you know, forget the rest of the game. Yeah, there's people that will argue she shouldn't play at all. Yeah. I'm not one no. of those. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm thinking of some analogous people on the U.S. Women's National Team, but the conversation is very similar about, I'm not going to name names, but... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's some That's similar right. conversations happening. So overall, Brazil in a better place moving forward. I will be fascinated by the Brazil-England game. Fascinated. They right. are very different teams. Right. So the winner of the Euros and the winner of South America play each other. Those are the oldest confederations in the world. So the South American confederation, which is older than the European confederation, which is why football really goes home when it goes there, is is going to take place – oh, it takes place in Europe. That's right. It's got to be Europe this time, but it hasn't been determined where. So the winners of those two confederations then play each other. This year it was Argentina and Italy for the men. Now it'll be Brazil-England. So these are some classic matchups. This would be really exciting. And so I am really looking forward to that. Ooh, we might have to have a watch party. <laughs> that sounds really exciting. I would love it. I would love it. I'm really excited. I will say that the enthusiasm of the English fans, unfortunately, was not, it had no parallel, unfortunately, in Brazil. You know, what got me thinking all of the, about all of this uh, more deeply, well, there are a few reasons, but, you know, one was you had a great thread um, leading up to the final game and you reminded everyone that, you know, there are not 
uh, sustainable women's leagues in, um, you know, Colombia or Brazil. So what is kind of the state of fan support for the Brazilian women's team? And is there like, as far as leagues go, where does that stand right now? Well, it's really hard in the lead up to the men's world cup. It's hard not to feel like they're overshadowed, um, at this point. And, you know, it's it's disappointing. I think COVID was used as an excuse to push back on a lot of gains that were made. And unfortunately, I feel like it's in the same space that it was in 2018. If there is a bright spot, it's the Mexican League. Right, yes. The Mexican League has been doing great. I mean, I think everyone is so thrilled. I am so sad that they are actually not going to the World Cup. Right. <laughs> so... Uh. It is it is really 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 upsetting um in for for those of us that have been so excited about the Mexican League but it's going to continue I really think to be great they have a great sponsor in BBVA Mexico if it continues to do well I believe it's just now opening to foreign nationals and dual citizens, if it continues to do well, I really uh, believe that BBVA may sponsor other women's teams in the continent. So the state is bleak, to be honest with you, in South America. The Colombian League really kind of crashing and burning. Um, Brazilian League not really getting off the ground. Still no representative in all South America that is um, a representative of women's football or a woman-identified person. All cis male control over South American football. So no representation whatsoever. So I don't expect it to change, unfortunately. And, you know, the lead up to getting into a men's World Cup is an 18-month process. You know, this is a three-week tournament. That's all the exposure they're going to get. It's very infuriating. And I know how is, like, for the national team, what's the state of pay for Brazil and support that they're – because I know they've been fighting for more. Yeah, so they have equal pay now to the men, um, which isn't like fully disclosed. It's not, it doesn't come out in like a lawsuit. But again, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The men will be convened umpteen times more than the women. So your pay is Uh for the days that you're convoked and the day that you're playing. So they'll say, oh, we have equal pay. And it is good, it's not nothing, right? But there's no way that it equals the same amount. Now, if the federation responds to friendly invitations if the federation decides all these federations the colombian federation um the brazilian and the argentine if they are to respond they have the capacity to be convened more and to make a more decent wage but as it is now it is very low we know that and the last we knew from argentina it was nine dollars a day um, and that was in 2018, and they went on strike because they weren't paid. We learned that they upped that maybe to like $15, $16 a day. <laughs> I see Lindsay shifting in her seat. It's very little. The tolls you will pay to get there will be more. <laughs> Did they say we almost doubled it? Is that what they say? <laughs> and probably, probably. Now, the Argentines, again, the Argentines have tried very hard to push their federation to subsidize a professional league. So the Federation has subsidized a little bit of a professional league. You can't really live on it, but there are moves to try it. They are paying them something. And before it was just totally in-kind labor. Like you work in the club, you clean up the club. You know what I mean? We'll pay you a kind of honorarium. And so it is 
I would say if you were to look at a graph, it would overall look better than it did 10 years ago. It's just frustrating that it hasn't happened with the speed that they deserve. And like how many generations are you going to go through that have to have subpar right. treatment? But So it's like, yes, it's getting better, but like, geez, okay. I'm I'm still thrilled to see Argentina in it. I, I love them. As, as a team and to see Benini call back after she had complained about the Argentine Federation. She had been banned from the team. She got kicked off the team right away, even though she was captain at the World Cup. And to see her play again under the new coach was really exciting. So I, I think there's good things afoot. And they did qualify for the World Cup from this tournament, right? Yes, because they were third. They were third, right. So that's great. Yeah. Okay, so... Before we go back to Argentina, let's talk about the runner-up and the host, because I know there's a lot going on with Colombia that um, you mentioned that it was the women who fought to have this when they had a league. What's happened since to that league? Why has that league kind of fallen off? And what has the treatment been like from the leaders of the federation um, to the Colombian women? It's horrible. I would say it's the worst um, in the Americas. Of all of the Americas, the Colombian Federation is the worst. And that's saying a lot. And (laughs) and that begins, uh, I mean, even in 2019, the youth national team, there were three players that filed criminal charges against the Federation because of sexual abuse. And those have not been they have not provoked any structural or systemic change in the Federation. All the top brass are in place. It is totally linked with their corruption. They were also convicted of corruption several times. And they were in the FIFA papers, you know, and and basically diverted development money that were met that was meant for those women into the men's side and into their own pockets. And they still have not Ramon Gesarun and the same people remain in place in the Federation. Three of their top players, their very best players, started speaking out in 2015 and as retribution were not playing. So it is infuriating to hear someone call that final. And I don't know the dude's name or anything. I watched on Fubo, but whatever. To hear them call that match between Brazil and and Colombia and not mention that like Natalia Gaitan, who was their captain, you know, Yoreli Rodriguez, Isabella Echeverri, who all continue to play professional football in Europe, are not in that team. And like the only reason is retribution. My blood is boiling. And this isn't something I had and you know, it's my fault, I'm sure, like for not paying close attention, but I hadn't realized this until like we were having a quick conversation a few weeks ago. <laughs> Like, how do I not yeah. hear more about this? On Burn It All Down, we have had two players interviewed. Yes. If anyone wants to listen to to those interviews in the past, we had Melissa Ortiz, um, who is on, who was a dual national with the U.S. And um, she has a great project going on, too. So anyway, if, if people are interested in the old stories, they're there. Yes. There's like remembering that these three yeah. players were left off the team totally. because of retribution and that it's the same people in charge. Yeah. You need to be reminded of the awfulness because it's so awful it seems unreal. Like, it seems like there has and to you be. Want that, and you want someone to be like, hey, you know how you could win this match right now? Like, it was only 1-0, right? Like, Brazil wins, like, all the Copa Americas, right? And it's like, they had a good shot. They did not give up. This was just a penalty kick, right? Yeah. 
um, between Colombia winning, which would have been great for Colombia. I would have frankly been very happy. I mean, you know, Catalina Usme, who the announcers continued to call Maria. I don't fucking know why. Um, I understand that might be on her birth certificate, but she has never used it. Just look at her Instagram. Um, had a terrific game. Uh, there's Casado, this 17-year-old phenom that everyone's super excited about. So, you know, you just think to yourself, those three players might have really given you a leg up there. So it was a bummer. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, we've seen, you know, not that I think Colombia has done the work to be poised for the full kind of England moment that England had upon winning it because they have the the domestic leagues and I think are going to be able to really hopefully build on this. But, you know, it would have been very impactful, I think. Um, But how has um, Colombia managed to stay qualifying for these major tournaments, you know, in the finals, despite the lack of uh, investment, despite the lack of care? Man, that is a great question. And I mean, wizardry, I'm not really sure, spells, um, what they've done. I mean, to a certain extent, even if the league is kind of a shambles, the fact that they're playing on a regular basis and training on a regular basis because so many of their players gave up contracts in the U.S. and in Europe to come back and support the league, Mm. which is totally heartbreaking that they get screwed over for this. But at the very least, like compared to like, let's say Paraguay, right, where they're they're not playing and getting and competing and training um, as much. So as as shambles as that D Mayor Colombian league is, it still gives them – the opportunity to play more than some of their counterparts, you know? And Colombia in general has a very strong physical education tradition. It does have a strong club system. It has kind of certain skeletal qualities to that that girls can take advantage of, certainly not equally, but to a certain extent they have a strong club tradition, right? They have amazing women volleyball, cyclists, you know, so this all kind of feeds into its own culture. And they have been playing women's football since, you know, at least the 1940s. Which you can read about in Football Era. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> have to. <laughs> um, uh, this is really all just Brenda PR. She paid me for this. <laughs> um, do we know the exact people that were accused of sexual abuse? Like, was it the coaches? Yeah. Um, so the main coach was Didier Luna. Um, who was the U-17 coach who um, was also accused of an adult uh, physical trainer by an adult physical trainer, sorry, named Carolina Rosso, Mm -hmm. who has come out. And Susie Rack wrote about it in The Guardian. Um, I just interviewed her recently for a new book. And according to Carolina, he has appealed his case so many times that he won't ever do the jail sentence that he was actually sentenced to. And not only that, but that he gets invited to Federation events all the time. (gasps) Carolina Rosso, um, on the other hand, was fired from her job and can find no job as a physical trainer in football. Like, she is completely prohibited, obviously. It's informally, but it's very obvious. It's been four years. And uh, she has not gotten another placement. And she she was the head physical trainer for the women's, you know, youth national team. So that that's pretty Jesus. that's pretty fucked yeah. up that you can't get like a, a job at a club. I would say pretty fucked up is a gentle way of saying yeah, it. Like yeah, like it seems impossible that it's like anything else but 
um, kind of punishment for her filing her own charges and to support these girls and their cases, which she did. And she's really paid the ultimate professional price. And those 15 and 16 year old, because the, they were under on the U17 team, where are they now? Do we know? Or how are they doing? No. Yeah, it was anonymous, right? No, their identity was, was pretty well um, protected. So we don't know. What we do know is that uh, they had tried to go to the Federation for at least 18 months and got no response and that Didier Luna was not suspended from his job even after they filed criminal charges um, for a good amount of time. In a just world, would it be FIFA who would be punishing the Colombian team for this and looking into this and running investigations? Like... Like what? What level uh, are we missing of accountability? You know what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> totally. I mean, first a jail. I mean, yeah. it should be the Colombian okay. government yeah. okay. and the the attorney general that should have been successful. These football clubs should not be able to stymie the law, you know, around protecting children from abuse. Um, so th- that's step one. I, I don't give any hope to that. So I just... <laughs> yeah, me. well, that's yeah. tough. You know, Colombia has obviously struggled. Um, journalists have been attacked in Colombia, and that means that anyone reporting on these types of things uh, is entering into a very scary space. Uh, so tons of human rights abuses. Many journalists covering indigenous issues in Colombia um, have been killed or harassed. Uh, and so so this is an environment that's very easy to work with, period. And then on top of it, to have a kind of criminal justice system that is pretty messed up and compromised from, you know, civil war and intervention, all that stuff. I mean, it's just kind of a perfect storm. So beyond that, you say, well, what could FIFA do? I mean, at the... <laughs> Okay, this is a very fucking least. At the very least, the president of the Federation, who was aware of these complaints for years, should be replaced. Yeah, that just seems like somebody should be able to do that. Somebody should be able to say, you can't work this job anymore. (laughs) Right, and FIFA could do That is something that FIFA could be like, we are disaffiliating you. You will no longer be able to compete for World Cup qualifications or in regulation play if that continues to be the head of your federation. And they did, they've done that. I mean, they say, like, no politics in football, but they did ban apartheid South Africa. I mean, thank fucking goodness. And, like, I mean, bare minimum, right? right? Yeah. Uh, they did do that, and they can do that, and they have total control. But guess what? The federation president is literally on the FIFA executive council. Jesus. So, like... I, I don't know what you do with that. So then you say, oh, it could be the Confederation. It could be South America. And it's like, yeah, right. I mean, so it's just really ridiculous. Um, I think at this point, you know, I my hope would be Colombia has a new government. Their new vice president, who's the youngest Afro-Colombian vice president, is super into football. And I'm just hoping she can save it somehow. <laughs> like that might be yeah. a priority somewhere for her. Yeah, I mean... Sports matter, right? Let's at least the bare minimum has got to be safety. Like just like the bare, bare minimum. She campaigned in football stadiums and at football clubs. So I hope she is really exciting. Their new president is really exciting. It's the first time you've ever had a leftist elected in Colombia. So maybe it'll push change more broadly, you know? (laughs) 
Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, so I kind of want to just, you know, the rest of kind of standings, Argentina in third, Paraguay in fourth, um, Chile and Venezuela, fifth and sixth. So that means they made it in, you know, past the group stage. And then we had Ecuador, Uruguay, uh, Bolivia and Peru all eliminated in group stage play. Um, but I didn't know if there's teams that you kind of want to focus in on or zoom in on that impress you or you think we should all sound alarm bells about. I mean, I think when you look at the disparate performances of Peru, Uruguay and Chile in particular compared with their men's team, um, it's pretty shocking. It's hard with Bolivia um, because the, the men's team also struggles for support. I mean, yeah. it's it's just a hard state of affairs. The same with Venezuela. I'm, I'm really not sure what to say. They don't have the infrastructure anyways. It's not that they have the yeah, infrastructure like, and they're not using it for women. It's that they don't have the infrastructure at all right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also sports have not really been the central part of like the Bolivian government since Evo Morales and Venezuela – um, is also very much a baseball country. Yeah. And anyway, so there's a lot there um, to kind of unpack. Um, Dana Castellanos it continues to be wonderful from Venezuela. We expect her to continue to be wonderful. She was FIFA Player of the Year several years ago. She was great. You know, I guess it's kind of sad to see Chile not build on the momentum. It had its maiden, you know, World Cup journey last time, and they really – um, didn't show much growth at all. So the idea is that we hope these teams go to the World Cup and then and then that behooves them. You know what I mean? Like they get a boost or a boon or something like that. And in the case of Chile, we didn't really see it um, in the way that we that we would hope. And Uruguay is always like a question to me. Uh, again, it, it considers itself a total football country. The feminist movement had started to make little um, groups within the main clubs by the early... 2000 teens to make stadiums safe. Uh, same in Peru, like big, cool movements around let's like have safe stadiums and let's think about fan culture. And I feel like that hasn't translated into support for the national team, unfortunately. And I, I just I'm not sure why on in that, but that was kind of disappointing to see. But I don't it's hard to root against any of them. Right. right? So like I struggle with this like all the time. Um, I don't actually like the way Colombia plays. 
at all. So like I just prefer the Brazilian style. But then I was so sad when they lost. They looked so sad and they tried so hard and they were home. It's just miserable to like root against people who are already disadvantaged materially. Right. Yeah. And like discrimination and you're like, oh, God, you want them all to win, you know? Absolutely. Um, I know you recently, you've kind of done a report. Is there anything from that report you want to talk about? You know, yeah, there's a couple areas um, besides the, uh, that I didn't want to just be harshing the vibe um, that the Mexican League has been amazing and that I encourage people to really tune in because it's great. Uh, you're going to hear a lot, again, about the Copa America not making attendance numbers, that the average is somewhere around 6,000. Please, like, just close your ears and go la, 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 and don't listen to the bullshit because, again, they had it in these really strange places um, instead of their cities with millions and millions of people, right? Uh, and so it's like a half of all of those city citizens would have had to go to, like, fill the stadium. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, it's some bullshit. So I would just not even listen to that. I mean, the Colombian press happily spent a lot of time on this tournament. It was good. Couple of things to look out for. We have had a couple instances, particularly in the Colombian League and the Chilean League, of racism um, towards Afro-Colombian and Afro-Chilean players by Mm. fellow teammates. Well, rivals. Okay. Rivals in particular on the pitch. And um, the the more popular that this uh, gets, the more instances that we're having of racist and homophobic abuse uh, in women's football. And I would just say, like, we all need to just, like, be super kind of on guard with this happening. Um, and that's, and some people are like, you know, they like to see signs of the men's game and say, well, maybe that's a good thing for the women's game, but this isn't one that any of us want to see. And yeah, it happened just twice recently, once in that Colombian league, um, three players, um, filed an official report and came out complaining about one of their teammates from America de Cali, and they denounced the racism. They wanted a full investigation. It hasn't happened. And then in addition to it, um, Mary Valencia, she's an Afro-Chilean player uh, for Santiago Morning, has been attacked um, by rivals and fans for, you know, quote-unquote stealing Chilean's jobs and um, received threatening messages that she should return to Africa. So if, you know, so I think, I think we just need to, uh, those of us who just really love this and really want women's football in Latin America to grow and to continue to grow. And I think it is, I do, I know I sound frustrated, but I do think I could still watch it, you know, like four years ago, it was much harder and eight years ago, it was impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm grateful for it, like a sad, grateful for crumbs, I know, but still I'm glad. And uh, just getting them that exposure is incredible. But with that comes some of the same pitfalls as the men's game. So I guess the one thing I would say is we got to be like real on guard about that shit happening. Whether you're in the crowd, (laughs) you can alert someone, you can always report it to the fair network, you can always report it to the federation, you can, you know, if it's safe, you can document it through photographs and send it to the federation. I don't know if they'll do anything, but the fair network will. Um, And I think sanctions are really can work really well in these cases and we really need to kind of like jump on that, you know? 
Absolutely. Well, Bren, two of my favorite parts of football era are, well, favorite is bad, is wrong for this one, but, you know, when you kind of go into the, it's cited a lot, Brazil's ban on football, you know, and it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as we talk about Brazil winning, you know, there was kind of this, it was very symbolic seeing England win, who, of course, the FA had the ban on football, and then Brazil win, which yeah. they, there was a total ban on football, right, in these countries. Yeah. And um, it's just, like, the best middle finger to, like, these, totally. <laughs> these patriarchs. Um, but can you remind people, because football era is just, like, the best um, dive into this, so I'm asking you to sum up, like, you know, decades of work, but, like... I always think it's important to remind people that women's, the ban didn't happen because nobody cared, right? It happened because people cared too much or people were getting too much power from it, right? Right, and it's the same in England. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, It's a reaction to the massive growth and popularity of the women's game, which in Brazil had created a league by 1941. Um, And so Getulio Vargas, when he becomes dictator and creates the uh sent well it's like a council of sports essentially the very first thing they do is ban women's football in schools outside in parks at birthday parties wherever um and that ban stays in place until i mean really until 1981 it becomes a kind of feminist um lightning rod by that point and it's the moment of democratization from the dictatorship so it's 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 important that feminists recognize that and was like hey um you know this should be this should be a right of ours and that there's something to this if this is what defines brazil if this is what makes our nation what it is jogo bonito it's really important that you know we're banned from participating altogether it's just this is wild. And once again, people aren't, they don't, they pretend like it's like, you know, to care about, you know, the safety of women or whatever. But we all know it's just because sports bring power and confidence and community yeah. and togetherness. Yes. And these are all things that they get scared when women have. That's right. And 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 maybe being happy together for their own teammates who are also women yeah. and not doing it for the pleasure of men only. Um, the time away from domestic duties mm-hmm. where they could be giving their time and energy towards men is incredibly threatening to them. Yeah. Incredibly threatening. And the bans, you know, just to be fair, um, there were equally as horrible people trying to ban it in Costa Rica, in Colombia, in Argentina. I mean, there's a lot of things. And there's a lot of, you know, people... I don't... Also, I never want to, like have people walk away and say like oh latin america is so exclusively sexist because of course like then in the u.s you have things like um in football right um in north american football or you know the very concept of go play softball not baseball um there's lots of ways in which in which it happens and you see it time and time again one of the reasons we made football era comparative josh natal who wrote it with me and i is because the narratives are so similar Right. No, and that's why I cite it so much, because obviously I'm not writing full time about Latin America, but the the stuff you talk about, like the the homophobia, the fear of, you know, taking things away, time away from domestic labor of community. Like this is what we see everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Of just like these limitations put on women's sports because the people in power, they're not afraid about them failing. Like that's not the truth. They're afraid about them succeeding. (laughs) 
Yes, absolutely. And because it, it fucks their status quo, right? It fucks their comfortable place at the top of that mountain. Totally. And then to end on a positive note, uh, you know, we talked about Mexico a little bit, and I always love the story about the World Cup, uh, the unofficial World Cup in Mexico. Uh, can you remind people of that story? Yeah, so um, I love this story because a lot of times people are sort of – you know, I don't know, pessimistic about getting out of FIFA or what are you ever going to do without a FIFA so you need it. And in 1970 in Italy and then in 1971, women organized uh, in what we now call the unofficial Women's World Cup, which is super fucking stupid because, like, you can decide what you think is official. It's really official. Um, And so they organized (laughs) the World Cup. And it's the same, it's like right after the Olympics of 68 and the World Cup in Mexico City, um, Estadio Azteca had been filled, at that time it was 110,000 people, and so the Italians who host it in 1970 say, hey, we want to do another World Cup next year in Mexico to use all the stadiums and build on you know, all the enthusiasm and excitement going on there. And so they do. And it is 110,000 people. And I don't know where that ranks in the largest women's sporting event, but I think it's the largest women's sporting event. Um, I don't know the Rose Bowl situation. But in any case, I think it's close, perhaps. I I think it might beat that. And then, you know, I know that the cricket uh, World Cup, tried to in Australia tried to beat the Rose Bowl recently but I think that got has them both beat if I'm not wrong I think it does and a lot of times people are um this is so silly but here's where becoming an historian is really fun a lot of times people know a little bit about the Women's World Cup and so they look up the 1971 stadium and they say, oh, it's Estadio Azteca, and that only has 90,000 people. But that's because it was actually shrunk in the late 1990s. So in 1971, it would have had 110,000. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's really picky. No, it's not <laughs> all. And I think, honestly, because now that I'm thinking about it, when Cricket Australia was trying to break the World Cup, break the world record for the most attended women's sporting match, I think they were using the... Rose Bowl number yeah, from ninety nine, yeah, as their marker and forgetting about Mexico. So and you can see yeah. pictures of it, like just Google it, like just Google like nineteen seventy one Women's World Cup Mexico, and you're gonna see the stadium. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, and um, even the little cute mascot is adorable, and the whole thing is so cool to just think that they did that without any. FIFA and and any and actually oh and here just going down in history all oh, these jerks the Mexican Federation clubs that had loaned the women their stadiums for training um were fined because FIFA still hadn't allowed for women's football yet so it trademarked it but it didn't allow um and it didn't allow for anybody to have women's matches on regulation territory, which is just, I, I think it's just completely made up. And so, yeah, so they faced fines and little disciplinary actions um, for loaning women their stadiums, which makes me still so mad. 
Um, but happy for the women that they did this. Yeah. So Incredible. We'll get back to that 110, despite the decades and decades of after <laughs> seeing the potential and squashing it. Uh, it's good to remember what's possible. It's good to get caught up yes. on what is going on in Latin America. And it is always... Better than good to talk with you, Brenda. So thank you again for for being a guest on your own show. So I can pick it's your the brain. best. I can truly say that I listen to your show and I love it. <laughs> all right, that's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tresta Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For show links and transcripts, check out burnitalldownpod.com. There's also merch at our Bonfire store. Thank you again to our patrons. Your support means the world to me. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash burnitalldown. And uh, we shall be returning from summer break next week. Burn on, not out.